Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. Hello, everyone. It's Shannon back with you for a Tuesday morning episode. Today, I am sharing an interview with author Anna Reyes, where we discuss her novel, The House in the Pines. This is her debut, and I definitely hope that you enjoy the interview and the book itself if you decide to read it. Once the interview is over, definitely keep listening to hear a bit about this week's new releases. So here we go with the housekeeping information, and then we'll get started. You can find us on Facebook by searching for the Book Bistro podcast. Once there, you can post to our timeline. You can also message us privately. If you want a more social interaction, you can join our Facebook listener group, which is pretty quiet at the moment, though we are looking at some ways of possibly revamping it. If Facebook is not your thing and you still would like to hang out with us, check us out on our WhatsApp group. You can subscribe to that either by messaging us through Facebook or by sending us an email, and one of us will be happy to add you. If you're looking to get a hold of us via email, you can do that by contacting the Book Bistro Podcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am here with author Anna Reyes, and we are discussing her novel, The House in the Pines, which is scheduled to release here in the U.S. Okay, this is hard for me to say because it's very hard for me to believe that we're almost at the end of 2022, but this will be releasing on January 3rd, 2023. So Anna, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You are officially my last interview of 2022, so I feel a little bit like we're looking ahead into the future here. (laughs) That's how it feels for me, too. Can we start with a brief introduction to The House in the Pines so that listeners have a little bit of an idea what they can expect if they haven't read early reviews or seen the blurb? Sure. So The House in the Pines is a thriller, a psychological thriller, and it's about a young woman named Maya who's trying to move on with her life after a difficult past when she sees a YouTube video of her ex-boyfriend, a man named Frank, sitting across from a young woman at a diner who suddenly drops dead. And about this, yeah, the thing is, this isn't the first time this has happened. Seven years ago, Maya's best friend also dropped dead while talking to Frank. And Maya's convinced that Frank killed both of these women, but he never touched them. He never, you know, it's almost like a magic trick. Like she can't tell how he pulled it off. You know, they weren't poisoned. Um, so she she just doesn't know how he did it, but she's convinced he did it. And um, now she has to go back to her hometown, uh, Pittsfield, Massachusetts. It's this post-industrial town in the Berkshires. And she has to try to figure out how did he do this? And to do so, she must come face to face with him 
um, which is obviously very dangerous talking to Frank. Um, you could, you know, drop over dead at any time. So she has to come face to face with him. And, and more specifically, she has to return to his house in the Pines. So I have to say, I have uh, my advanced copy was the audio copy. Mm. And you have a phenomenal um, audio book. I don't know if you've heard it. I haven't. Oh, I'm so oh. excited. It is. It is so so good. Oh, yes. I <laughs> can't wait to hear that. So what made you decide to write a psychological thriller? I feel like, you know, everybody has kind of a genre that they're, that they're drawn to or something that they've always wanted to write. And so is that kind of what psychological thrillers are for you? Or like, did something else kind of pull you toward writing this type of book? Well, what's interesting is that it didn't really start out as a thriller. It started out oh. as... I, I it was sort of a, a genreless book before. It had some spooky elements and some creepy moments, most of which are still there. Um, but it didn't have that clear um, thriller feel. And um, I, I, I signed with this amazing agent who um, is just very good at giving notes. And she read it and she was like, you know, you have this, this opportunity here um, to turn this into a thriller, to really focus those scary elements into something that is maybe a bit more page turny. So when she said that, I, I felt a little bit daunted at first because I, I just had this feeling like, oh, well, if you're a thriller writer, you must have this kind of special skill or this special, um, you know, maybe maybe you took a class in thriller writer, writing or something. Um, but what's interesting is that I actually grew up reading Christopher Pike and R.L. Stein's history yes. series. And, and then, you know, graduating on to Stephen King. And these were the books that that I, um, you know, I devoured as as a preteen and then a teenager. And, um, you know, even now, that's still my favorite genre. So I just with her encouragement was like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to give it a shot. And, you know, it took a few drafts and she actually worked with me for almost two years on it. Um, so I had you know, I was very lucky to have such a generous agent. Um, but by the time we were ready to submit it. Um, to editors, it, it had become a full, a full-blown thriller. And now I feel much more confident. And the next book that I write is also going to be in that same genre. So I feel like I really okay. found my, I, I found my, my calling as I wrote this book. So was there like a particular thing that you found kind of the most daunting about the idea of writing a thriller or was it just like the whole, the whole process? I think actually once I got into it, I didn't find it that daunting. And in fact, I actually found it very helpful um, because with thrillers, there is a set of tropes that you can draw from. You know, when you're writing something that doesn't have such a clear cut genre, you're kind of, it's like the, a total blank page. You know, there's not really this set of um, tropes that you can readily you know, review and draw from. But once I kind of got the hang of writing a thriller with that pace and everything, I I really started to have a lot of fun with um, looking at other thr other thrillers and kind of thinking about things like character reliability or unreliability, um, red herrings. Um, oh yes, yeah. There's just so many wonderful tropes in the thriller and mystery genre that um, as you're rewriting a thriller, you can kind of find these little places to kind of maybe put in a red herring or, or add in some foreshadowing. So one of my favorite parts about writing a thriller is actually the revision process because you have all these you know, surprises along the way. And then when you're going back and revising, 
there are all these opportunities to kind of shade in foreshadowing where you're like, okay, I have this description here. Um, but now that I know exactly what's coming, I might, you know, add in like a line or just even a little phrase here and there that kind of gives that nice sense of, um, of, oh, something, something big is coming. And, and to me, that was really satisfying. So I have to be careful how I, I ask you this um, so that we don't delve, you know, too deeply into spoilery territory, but did you know, like, I'm guessing, you know, once you decided like this was going to be a thriller, like, did you know sort of how it would end or did it kind of creep up on you and kind of surprise you as you were writing it? Well, with the big twist, I actually knew the twist going in. So the twist ah. the book has been there since the very beginning, but it wasn't really, um, the twist, you know, we weren't building towards it the way that we are now when it wasn't a thriller. It was kind of a drama with this twist. Um, but right. interestingly, the twist came to me first. It was something that oh. I knew there was this house. I knew there was a secret. The house had a secret. So I always knew what that secret was. Um, but once it became a thriller, it was all about how do I best sort of provide um, a frame for that for that twist? And how do I kind of leave just enough breadcrumbs that it feels right. You know, it feels it, people don't read it and they're like, huh, like <laughs> that came out of nowhere. Cause you know, with a twist, I feel like you don't want to give it away, but you also want to have, you want to provide those little breadcrumbs so that when it does come about, it feels inevitable and people are surprised. Yes. They're also like, oh, that, that makes sense. Like looking back over the plot, that makes total sense that, that this would, would happen. Um, so yeah, the twist, the twist was there from the beginning and, and the rest of it was kind of built around that. I love the things that people, like the ways in which people write, you know, for some people, it's like a character that comes first. For some people, it's a plot element or kind of a, you know, a basic outline of a novel. I feel like there are so many different ways that people approach writing. And it's one of those things that there's like not a right or wrong way to do. And I just, I love that about talking to people about their process. Oh yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's really, it's such a personal process. And even though this book is definitely not based on my life, you know, I can, I can still look back at it as, you know, when I look through it and I'm like, oh yeah, that, that really is something that, you know, she, she has an opinion that I have, or she's doing something that I do, or her favorite food is my favorite food. You know what I mean? Like as you're, as you're writing, you're, you're definitely um, putting yourself into the book in one way or another. So I would love to know kind of how you got to know your main character. Like, did she feel kind of fleshed out to you from the beginning or like, what was your, your way of kind of getting to know like who she was and figuring out her voice? I would say it was sort of a, um, a gradual process, but there was always certain things that we had in common. So she's half Guatemalan, I'm half Guatemalan. And some of the questions that I have had in my own life about my own heritage, you know, being born here and, um, you know, not going to Guatemala until I was a teenager, there was a lot of questions that I had about my own culture. And so she shares those questions. So that part was always that was always there. I always, I always kind of knew that about her. And then the second thing is that when we meet her, she has just gone off of the medication that she's been taking to sleep. And that was actually true of me too. When I sat down to write the book, I had, I had been taking clonopin to sleep um, for a number of years 
and I moved to Louisiana to get my MFA at LSU. And while I was there, um, the doctor, the campus doctor was like, oh, you can't be taking that every night for sleep. You know, you're, you're going off of it now. So oh, no. I, yeah. So I, I had to quit rather suddenly. And, um, did they at know, least like wean you off of it? That, that's what, you know, you would, <laughs> in an ideal situation, I think that is what they would do, but this doctor didn't believe in that. And, you know, I just oh. think it was, it was, it was really unfortunate for me, um, that I, you know, that I didn't really, I, like in retrospect, if this were to happen again, I would ask for a different doctor or I would look for someone off campus, but I didn't have a car. Um, oh. the, the insurance on campus was, you know, that's what I had. So, right. That's so scary. Yeah. I didn't question her and I didn't know how bad it would be to quit. So when she said that, I was like, all right, like, I don't really oh. want to be taking this every night either. I keep meaning to kind of weed myself off, but it's, it's hard. So I, I just hadn't done it. So when I had to stop this medication, suddenly I found myself in the grips of this intense insomnia. And yeah, I bet you did. Yeah. Oh. And a lot of what, what Maya, my main character experiences in the book, especially at, at the beginning mm-hmm. is based upon my own experience. A lot of it is heightened because it's a book for dramatic purposes. I wanted it sure. to be, but, but a lot of those things like the sweating, the insomnia, the anxiety, the kind of feeling of just muscle tension and like, you know, overall, like your whole body is kind of clenched. Um, that that's all drawn like that. That was very much my experience. So I was, I was able to write about that as I was going through it. And in a lot of ways that, that was one of the things that got me through it was putting it on the page and kind of externalizing it by attributing this experience to a fictional character rather than myself. So, so that, that I knew in terms of character, I, I knew that all, all that about her. So her sort of identity is a, is a, um, is a, is a Latina and also her experience, um, going through Klonopin withdrawal. I always knew, um, that about her, but as I wrote about her, as the draft kind of evolved, um, I got to learn other things about her that, that I didn't really, hadn't really fleshed out going in. So for example, she's the kind of person who, Um, And I think we probably all know people like this, who if she's sitting down watching TV and you call her name, she's not going to hear you because she's so zoned in on whatever she's watching or reading or whatever story. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm kind of like that too. So, so, and I, and I, and I know a lot of kids are like that. You know, I think of little cousins I have who, if their cartoons are on, um, don't even try calling them because they're, they're not going to hear their name. So, so that was sort of a, something that I, that I, realized about her as I was going on. And, and that ends up being, you know, a rather important aspect of her character. Um, but, but yeah, so, so it was a gradual process in some ways. And then in other ways, I knew her, you know, right from the beginning. So it's, it's interesting, you know, that you mentioned the whole thing about withdrawing from clonopin because as I was reading kind of your description of medication withdrawal, I thought, you know, either like she researched this really, really well, or it's something that she's experienced. My background is in psychology and social work. And so I took a lot of classes that, you know, I I wouldn't have been able to prescribe medication as a social worker, but I learned a lot about drugs that are prescribed for different purposes. And one of the things we always learned is that 
you know, you should always encourage clients to like be weaned off of benzodiazepines. I know in retrospect, you know, now that I've gone through it and I've researched a lot of it, um, just, just on forums and things like that, I realized that it was, it was really bad. You know, I think that I, I should have found a new doctor. It was, it was not a good idea. Um, but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. It makes sense that, um, you know, that that would be the protocol because it is addictive. Yeah. Like your body, you know, starts to like depend on it. And then all of a sudden it's gone and you're like, Oh, like now, you know, the body does not know how to, how to cope with that. So as I was reading your description, I was like, Oh, I hope, you know, I hope this didn't happen to, (laughs) you know, either like this person or like someone you knew, you know, maybe she just like researches really well. (laughs) In a way, I guess I did. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I strongly suggest, you know, the next time you want to like research some kind of like medical thing, um, you know, maybe don't do it (laughs) to yourself. Right. (laughs) That is probably not the best. Yeah. No, I've I've learned that the hard way. (laughs) Yes. But I think, you know, it's, it definitely, whenever we can weave, you know, parts of ourselves into our art, I feel like it, it adds that sort of extra layer of, of authenticity and not that you necessarily need that in order to, you know, write a good book or, you know, create a piece of art that is compelling, but I think it does kind of give it like an extra, an extra layer when something is like really personal and like you, you really know it kind of like to your soul. Oh yeah, absolutely. Some of my favorite books, I think, have that um, that element. Um, just f- uh, an example off the top of my head is um, I just listened to a podcast by Erin Adams. I think her name is. She wrote Jackal. Oh, Jackal. Yeah, and I read the book first. Really enjoyed it. And then just a few days ago, actually, I was traveling, so I listened to the podcast, and I was just really moved to hear about how a lot of that experience that she had in her hometown. Um, is, is re- or, or not, not literally like the things that happened to her character are horrifying, right. but, um, but the sort of more subtle, um, racial tension that exists in a town like this and some of the more historical traumas that the town have been through, that was all from her. She lived there. So she was, a, she was writing about that all firsthand. And, and I realized as I was listening to her, um, that's probably why I enjoyed that book so much, um, because she she was writing about something that she knew. And you, you can just tell a lot of books like that. I, I can tell. Jackal is on my list of things to read. I am on um, a really long library hold list for it. <laughs> so I'm hoping that, um, you know, I, I see it relatively soon. If I don't, I'll have to like, you know, give in and, and actually buy it. But um, I, I do love my, my library. Oh yeah. Love libraries. So I want to shift gears a little bit, um, because you, you kind of helped me do that with your uh, reference to Jackal here, but so we know kind of a little bit about who you are as a writer, but who would you say you are as a reader? Like, how would you describe your reading life? Um, I will right now, now that I've, you know, become a writer, I have, I feel like I'm, I'm already doing blurbs and things like that. So I'm a pretty open-minded reader. I'll read any genre, but I am drawn to thrillers, anything with a sense of mystery. Um, A book that I just finished actually was a little while ago was um, Namwali Serpel's The Furrows. Oh, yes. That was so mysterious. 
it was just so, you know, it was so mysterious that at every point at the end of every chapter, I just, I, I didn't know where we were going, but not in a bad way, like in a really good right. way. Like I needed to know there was a secret of some sort and I just needed to know what that secret was. So I think that I will read anything, especially if there's a compelling sense of mystery. I'm, I'm the kind of person who, if there's a mystery box, I'm going to open it. I need to know what's inside. Um, so so that that's probably the main thing I look for when when I'm looking for a book. But, I, but I'm also really drawn to strong voices. Um, I read poetry too. So I, I kind of have a, an appreciation for a beautiful line or, or something that sounds nice in addition to, you know, in addition to what it means literally, it also has a sort of meaning just, just by the sounds of the, of the language. Um, so I would say, yeah, mystery and voice are probably the two things that, that attract me to, to any, any book. And is there a subgenre of thriller, like mystery or thriller that kind of speaks to you, like, you know, historical or small town or serial killers or, you know, like, is there a, a thing that like you read it and you're like, oh, yes, I, I have to have this? Hmm. Well, interestingly, I think a trope that I that I really like, I don't know if this is exactly a subgenre, but one trope that I love is a book within a book or like, you know, a story within. Oh, a uh huh. So I include that in my book, as you know. So, so obviously that was something that I, I just felt like I had to get in there. Um, but a lot of the books that I read, I um, if it has a story within a story, one thing that I've kind of learned from reading all those books is that that inner story has a clue. It has whether it's you know a, a literal clue to solve you know the case of the of the outer story, or whether it's sort of a clue as to the theme of the whole piece. Um, I just think there's something about that trope that that allows me as a reader to feel like a detective you know I'm reading over the main character's shoulder as they're reading that lost manuscript or that um you know that that they find that that secret videotape or something I'm, I'm watching or reading over their shoulder trying to find clues along with them and for me there's just something very satisfying about that have you read the Memory Box by Eva Lesko Natiello. It came out in like 2015, I believe. So it's been out for a little while. I haven't, but I'm going to write that down. The Memory Box. Yes, that was, I think, an amazing amazing, um, kind of, like, I I can't necessarily tell you why I'm recommending it, um, Mm -hmm. because that will spoil things for you. But once you get to the end, you will, like, I think, understand why. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Well, I am definitely, that's going in the TBR pile for okay. sure. Yeah, I hope you can find it. It's like I said, it's been out for a while. Um, so hopefully like, you know, Amazon or something will will show it to you. But it, it was incredible. Well, I want to thank you so incredibly much for taking time out of your pre-release schedule, but also, you know, so close to the holidays where I feel like everybody's lives are chaos. Um, I think, you know, it's, I love talking with authors and letting my listeners kind of get to know, you know, who, who's behind some of the books that we're reading. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, this was a really, really fun conversation. I, I like I like where we went <laughs> with it. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Can you let listeners know the best place to find you online? 
Yeah. So I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Honoreus Writer. I have to ask, because you mentioned Instagram, do you describe your Instagram photos? You know, I don't. I, I, I think <gasps> there's that lets you do that, right? Is there? Yeah. Yes. Alt text. Oh, that would be good. Yeah. Cause I would, I've seen that people, I'm actually rather new to social media. <laughs> so um, I don't have a lot of the bells and whistles when it comes to, <laughs> to how to post, but I would love information on how to do that because I, you know, I, I would love to start doing that. If you um, Google like photo description or entering alt text on Instagram, the other thing you can do if you don't actually want to do the alt text thing, you can put it in like what a lot of people do is they'll, they'll have a like whatever they're going to say about their post in general, you know, about their picture. Then they'll have a thing that says like ID for image description and then just give like a brief description of what's in that photo. Great. I just wrote that down. I will do that. I'll Google that. And people who, who value digital accessibility will love you forever if you do. <laughs> oh, I like that. As, as someone who relies very heavily on um, image descriptions, I, I am always, I'm always kind of ready to um, remind people that, you know, it's, it's an important part of social media. Great. Well, th thanks for letting me know how to do that because I've seen You're people welcome. do that and I'm like, oh, that's smart. <laughs> yeah, it just, it helps everybody, like not just people who can't see photos, like I can't, but also it helps, you know, if, if for some reason, like people have, have trouble processing visual information. Mm -hmm. That's a great idea. Well, once again, this has been a discussion with author Anna Reyes, and this is pertaining to her novel, The House in the Pines, which releases here in the U.S. on January 3rd, 2023. All right, new books. Okay, so I'm going to start, as I always do, with a few things you've heard us mention before, this time on our most anticipated releases of February episode. I'm starting off with some historical fiction. This is The House of Eve by Sadiqa Johnson. It is one of my most anticipated February releases. We then move on to a romance that Sarah is looking forward to, and this is Just My Type by Fallon Ballard. Georgina is looking forward to the new Tessa Bailey, which is the first in a new series by her called Secretly Yours. Both the book and the series have that title. And she's also looking forward to Someone Else's Shoes, which is the latest novel by author Jojo Moyes. So these are books that you've heard us talk about before. So let's move on to some things that we haven't already mentioned. I'm going to start out with some mysteries and thrillers. First, I have a historical mystery. This is The Jeweler of Stolen Dreams by M.J. Rose. And this is an author that I really, really like. Um, I especially love Cartier's Hope. And I know they have a pretty extensive backlist that I need to explore. But this is her latest novel. So hopefully you will pick it up and discover exactly why I love Cartier's Hope so much and why I am determined to check out the backlist. So this, once again, is Jeweler of Stolen Dreams by M.J. Rose. 
If you are a fan of Nora Roberts, a.k.a. J.D. Robb, then you are very aware that the new Eve Dallas book comes out this week. And this is Encore in Death. It is In Death, number 56, by J.D. Robb. These are futuristic, like, murder mysteries. Um, Kind of hard to believe that the series has been going on now for, like, 20 years. But this is the 56th installment. If you are a fan of Eve and Rourke and all of these supporting characters, then I'm guessing you are very ready for the next installment. And even if you aren't, like, if you're still making your way through the series, then just know that it keeps going. Um, and it'll be, you know, a lot of fun for you to keep reading until hopefully you catch up and are current if that is your goal. So this is Encore in Death, in Death, number 56 by J.D. Robb. Hank Philippi Ryan has a new book out this week. This is called The House Guest. It is a standalone thriller. And I honestly have not read any of her standalone thrillers. I have really liked her um, Jane Ryland series, but I have not read her standalones. I should because I've heard really great things about them, but so many things to read, not enough time to do it. But this is one that I will definitely be adding to my TBR. It is The House Guest by Hank Philippi Ryan. I want to also talk about Every Missing Girl. This is Kendall Beck, book two, by Leanne Kale Sparks. And this is another kind of, you know, detective procedural novel. Um, sometimes I find I'm really in the mood for these. I kind of move between them and kind of the more like popular psychological thrillers. But I find the formula of the police procedurals to be really comforting sometimes. So this is one that I've had on my radar for a little while, um, this author's work in general. So this one is Every Missing Girl, Kendall Beck, book two, by Leanne Kale Sparks. We also have a new book in the Corner and Varner series by Katrin Engberg. This is called The Sanctuary. This is the last book in this series. It's the fourth. Um, and this is a series that I haven't read, but I know that Robin really enjoys these. And I've also heard positive reviews of them um, just from other people in the book world. They are Scandinavian thrillers, and I am pretty excited to check them out um, when I can make time in my reading life. So this one is the last book in the series, and it is The Sanctuary, Corner and Werner, book four by Katrin Engberg. I also want to talk about a legal thriller, a debut out this week. This is Extreme Vetting by Roxana Arama. It is a legal thriller dealing with immigration. And there will be an interview with the author um, airing in the next little while. So definitely keep an eye out for that. But if you get a chance and if legal thrillers are your thing, definitely pay some attention to Extreme Vetting by Roxana Arama. Let's talk about some historical fiction. We have Looking for Jane by Heather Marshall. This is a novel about an underground abortion movement um, that was first released in Canada and is now 
on its way here. It is told from three different perspectives. And this is one, given what's gone on in the matters of reproductive health here in the US, something that I am very excited to read. This is Looking for Jane, and it's by Heather Marshall. We also have a new World War II era novel from Pam Jenoff. This is Codename Sapphire. And I became aware of Jenoff's work probably, I don't know, 15 years ago or so when I heard about The Commandant's Girl. And now she has been writing about the Second World War for quite a while and does it so, so well. It's one of those things where you read a bunch of World War II books and you realize that you always learn something new because there's so much about this era in history that we just don't know. So this is Codename Sapphire by Pam Jenoff. We also have Stealing by Margaret Verbal. This is about a child who is taken from their family and sent to a boarding school. Um, this is an indigenous child who is sent to like a missionary school to hopefully, according to the people who, who took them, you know, make them into a good Christian. Um, this is definitely something that happened to indigenous families and something that we as white people don't know as much about as perhaps we should. So books like this are super important and I'm glad that Verbal has written this. It is called Stealing and it's by Margaret Verbal. I now want to move on to some fantasy, paranormal romance, all those delightful things. I'm starting off with Radiant Sin, Dark Olympus, book four by Katie Robert. These are modern retellings of Greek myths where Olympus is like a city instead of a mountain and all of the gods and goddesses that we love play parts here. This is Apollo's story and it is Radiant Sin, Dark Olympus, book four by Katie Robert. Gina Showalter is releasing the third book in her Rise of the Warlord series. This is called The Phantom, and this is a series that I have not read. I have read some of Showalter's YA, but not her paranormal romance or urban fantasy. Um, a lot of people compare her to J.R. Ward, and I cannot say wholeheartedly that I agree with that, but I think that's mostly because what I read was YA and did not feature the kind of like alpha males that J.R. Ward's um, books tend to. But um, definitely, if you've read both of these authors, do let me know if you find that to be an accurate comparison. But the book out this week is The Phantom. Rise of the Warlords, book three by Gina Showalter. We also have Not Your Exes Hexes. This is Supernatural Singles, book two by April Asher. This is on the lighthearted kind of end of the uh, paranormal romance spectrum, reminding me a little bit in terms of its synopsis um, of like, the X-Hex and the Kiss Curse by Aaron Sterling. Um, 
kind of the same, like, you know, small town with paranormal activity and lots of hijinks. So if that's your thing, definitely check this out. It is Not Your Ex's Hexes, Supernatural Singles Book Two by April Asher. We have Seven Faceless Saints. Seven Faceless Saints, number one by M.K. Lobb. This is a debut and it is on my library hold list. Um, it is supposed to be kind of darker YA fantasy. And I love using kind of the saints as like the, the inspiration for this type of fantasy. I think, you know, we see a lot of different types of inspirations for books like this. And to see kind of the, the saints and like the way that whole mythology has been woven in to our society. I'm just very eager to see how the author makes it fantastical in all of the ways that we love in YA fantasy. So this one is Seven Faceless Saints, Seven Faceless Saints, book one by M.K. Lobb. We also have Stardust in Their Veins. This is the sequel to Castles in Their Bones, which is also the name of the series by Laura Sebastian. You may remember her from the Ash Princess trilogy, which came out a few years ago and that I really, really liked. Um, these are kind of compared to like, I don't know, consider it a descendant of like the Hunger Games and Divergent. So a little bit dystopian, the whole like rebellion thing goes on here um, but castles in their bones is the series that kind of i don't know follows um ash princess it is set in a different world so not connected but you can definitely see some parallels in the stories that sebastian is telling so this one is stardust in their veins castles in their bones book two by laura sebastian and we have these Infinite Threads, This Woven Kingdom, book two by Tahara Mafi. And again, she kind of capitalized on the whole Hunger Games success with Shatter Me, which is her um, kind of YA dystopian. Now with this book, she has turned from dystopia to more, um, I don't know, like traditional fantasy. And I'm eager to see kind of how this goes, how it compares to Shatter Me in terms of, of her writing. Um, but this one is These Infinite Threads, This Shattered Kingdom, book two by Tahara Mafi. And lastly, I want to mention a historical romance. We have a new Amy Rose Bennett book. This is Curled Up with an Earl, Byronic Book Club, number two. And I am always excited for like a historical romance about bookish heroines. I feel like we see a good number of bookish introverts in contemporary romance, and I'm so happy to see them in historicals too. So definitely check this out if that is your thing, as it is mine. And that is Curled Up with an Earl by Ronick Book Club, book two by Amy Rose Bennett. And that is all I have for you this week. I hope your February is getting off to a fantastic start, that you are staying safe, and of course, well-read.
If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.